So when I was younger, like probably elementary age, my great passion in life was baseball. Uh, I played Little League, I watched the Tigers on TV, Alan Trammell was my favorite player, and whenever someone would ask me about what I was going to do when I grew up, I would tell them that I was going to be a major league baseball player. The problem was that my passion for baseball far outpaced my talent. And so that was not a realistic aspiration. And while I was not the worst player on the team, I was far from the best. And something that I never experienced in my years playing until I was 15 years old was I never got to hit a home run, something that never happened for me. But I have this distinct memory. I was probably 11 or 12 years old, and it was before one of our games. And I actually prayed, God, if you're real, let me hit a home run and then I will believe in you. Spoiler alert, I did not hit that home run. Now, I didn't have a crisis of faith as a result, but as a child growing up in a family that regularly attended church, sort of, but what we did on Sunday didn't really impact how we lived on Monday, this certainly didn't help me become more devoted either. But what that memory reveals is that I had a particular idea of who I thought God was, a God that was obligated to prove God's own existence by giving me success in the endeavor that I cared the most about. That's who I thought God was. No matter how long you've been a Christian, no matter how much you've read the Bible, no matter how much you pray and how frequently you go to church, you and I are all susceptible to ideas about God that don't truly align with who God truly is, that don't align with what God truly values and what God has in mind for God's people on earth. The way that we know who God is and what God values and what God wants for us is by looking at Jesus, his words and his works and his ways, who he was and what he valued, what he taught his disciples about what it means to be human and to follow him. The apostle Paul said in in Colossians 1, the son is the image of the invisible God the one who is first over all creation. So in other words, if you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. Which is fine until you realize that following Jesus isn't just about about learning what he did. Following Jesus is about doing what he did. Jesus tells his disciples in John 14, I assure you, that whoever believes in me will do the works that I do. They will do even greater works than these because I am going to the Father. That you and I, as disciples of Jesus, are to do the very things that Jesus did and even to go beyond that. Now that sounds kind of scary and weird and like, what does that even mean for us? But to Jesus and his disciples, this would have aligned with their understanding of the rabbi-student relationship. So in the first century, if you were a student of a rabbi, you didn't just want to learn from the rabbi, you wanted to become just like 
the rabbi. And this is why the disciples, and especially Peter, get really excited with the realization that Jesus was the Christ, the Messiah, the the one who had come to throw the yoke off of Roman oppression and make Israel great again. They were excited about this possibility. They were excited because they would be with him on the front lines of victory. and They would be the first to join him in this new kingdom of God that was coming, the reestablished throne of, of David and the power and the glory that would be available to them as a result, and, and, and how amazing it would be for Israel to become what it once was. That's what they wanted. That's what they were excited about. At least, and that was their idea of what God wanted. So when Jesus tells them not to say anything about this revelation that they have, that he was the Messiah, And when he begins to describe what kind of Christ he actually was, that he would be rejected by the religious leaders, that he would be handed over to be killed, it was more than they could handle, especially for Peter. Now, you've probably seen this image on social media, or if you watched the Super Bowl, it's Travis Kelsey, or as we refer to him in our household, Taylor Swift's boyfriend, uh, is yelling at his coach, Andy Reid. And this is kind of how I imagine Peter addressing Jesus. This is the degree to which Peter is angry. He took hold of Jesus and he scolds him and begins to correct him. And look, I kind of feel for Peter here a little bit because all his life, He had been taught one thing about who the Messiah was. And then all then along comes the Messiah, and and Peter gets to follow him, and he's excited because he gets to be a part of this thing that was unfolding that they had been praying for for hundreds of years. The emotional attachments to the idea that Peter had of who God was, what God values, what God had in mind, those emotional attachments had to have run deep. This theology of the Messiah was more than a belief. It was a way of life to which Peter had become accustomed. And any time a way of life is challenged, emotions take over. And there's anger directed towards the person who's challenging that way of life to which you and I have become accustomed. But the problem is not the person challenging the way of life. The problem is the emotional attachment itself to that way of life. And particularly when the emotional attachment is to something that God never promised you or I. God never promised Peter the Messiah Peter wanted. Last week, we started talking about the way, and and the way is a roadmap for the journey of following Jesus beyond Sunday. That that there's this call on our lives, in some particular area of our lives, that Jesus is drawing us out of. And we have a challenge that we have to wrestle with about what it means to follow that call and what has to change in our lives as a result. And then there's this completion. As, as God does God's work in that area of life, we come to a place where that work is 
completed. And part of the challenge we wrestle with is our internal resistance to what has to change in us in order for us to embrace the call and for the work of the Spirit to be completed. So strong was that resistance in Peter that whatever intensity Peter brought to scolding Jesus, Jesus doubles up on it and fires back. He says in verse 33, Get behind me, Satan. You're not thinking God's thoughts, but human thoughts. Now let's allow those words to marinate a little bit. Jesus equates Peter's emotional attachment to the vision of the Messiah that Peter had believed his whole life. Jesus equates that emotional attachment with the demonic presence of Satan. Think about that for a second. That's disturbing to me because what it tells me is that any time I cling to my own way of thinking, any time I cling to my preferences, my desires, my preferred way of life as opposed to the way, the way of life of following Jesus, any time I cling To those emotional attachments, Jesus looks at me and sees the demonic presence of Satan at work in my life. Anybody else uncomfortable with that? Guys, it's it's all right here. This is the Bible. This is not like Pastor Eric trying to make you feel bad about your choices and your desires and your preferences. Like it's all right here. Let he or she who has ears for this hear it. This is the challenge of Jesus. There was a call on Peter's life, and the only way that call can be completed is for Jesus to levy this challenge and name exactly what is going on in Peter's heart as it related to this vision for his life that he had. Anything that was going to distract Peter, anything that was going to redirect Peter away from the version of life that Jesus had for him, for the call that Jesus was placing on his life, anything that was going to move him off of that, no matter how good it looked, was the demonic presence of Satan at work. And there is a call on your life and mine. We, we talked about this last week, that we are called to live as beloved children of God, reflecting the values that God has instilled in us. But in order for that to happen, the emotional attachments that you and I cling to that run contrary to who God is and, and what God values and God's will for God's people on earth, whatever distracts us from that, Those attachments are the demonic presence of Satan. And so those attachments have to be crucified with Christ. If you and I would be his followers. Jesus says, starting in verse 34, All who want to come after me must say no to themselves. Take up their cross and follow me. All who want to save their lives will lose them. 
But all who lose their lives because of me and because of the good news will save them. This is where Jesus gets hard. Like we like the Jesus that loves the little children and pets the lambs and shares God's love with everybody and and multiplies food to feed thousands. We like that Jesus. We're not so sure about this one. Friends, this is the way. This is the way of following Jesus. This is the way of the cross. This is the way of discipleship. This is who God is. This is what God values. This is what God wills for God's people on earth. But here's what's so easy to miss in all of this. Peter missed it. You and I miss it when we feel the challenge of of taking our emotional attachments that keep us from following Jesus fully and, and taking those to the cross and aligning our lives to Jesus. It's so easy to miss this part. Peter gets all worked up about the idea that Jesus would be killed. And it's so often the case when emotional attachments get, get challenged, Peter stops listening. And had he listened, he would have heard something pretty incredible. When Jesus says, and then, after three days, rise from the dead. Now, we know the story. We're not listening to this in real time. And so it doesn't surprise us the way that it would have surprised Peter had he not gotten all hung up on the Jesus being killed part. I think if Peter would have stepped back from his initial reaction to Jesus taking his emotional attachment to the cross, I think if Peter would have stepped back and been curious about what Jesus was saying, about what being the Messiah really meant, he might have asked some questions. He might have been curious about what this rising from the dead was like. He might have had questions about, well, if I was wrong about what life was really about, and you're the author of that life, then maybe I should listen and ask and trust in this kingdom of God that had been promised. And then what Jesus said, starting in verse 36, why would people gain the whole world but lose their lives? What will people give in exchange for their lives? Peter would have perhaps begun to understand that the version of life to which Peter had become emotionally attached, the version of life that you and I can become emotionally attached, is not actually the version of life that is true life. That is God's version of life. The one that is revealed to you and to I and to Peter that comes to us in the person of Jesus Christ is far better than any version of life the world might impose upon us, demand from us, tempt us with, or that we might choose for ourselves. I don't know what the cross might be for you. I don't know what emotional attachments that you carry 
about what life should be about or what your family should be about or what your job should be about or what your church should be about. I don't know what emotional attachments you're carrying to that which God did not promise you. But here's what I do know. Just as the Spirit compelled Jesus into the desert for challenge, the Spirit will compel you to a cross of your own to deal with the emotional attachments that are keeping you from really seeing Jesus for who he is instead of who you want him to be in your life. Jesus never promised me a home run and I never hit one. But the life that God blessed me with was far better And there have been a lot of attachments over the years that I've had to give up. Things that Jesus never promised. And at different points, I've been challenged to let those go. And what I've learned is that taking up those crosses and following Jesus and letting those attachments die, it is exceptionally difficult. It is incredibly hard. And it is painful. But what I've also learned is that there's always been a resurrection of some kind on the other side. There's always been new life. There's always been something better. Not maybe something I would have chosen for myself, but something far better, far more meaningful, far more joyful, far more sustainable, far more free than that which I had clung to before. The good news for you, even if it doesn't necessarily feel like good news right now, is that God loves you too much to let your emotional attachments stand. God loves you too much to not challenge you to let go of that which you cling to but that God has not promised for you. Because it is the demonic presence at work in your life and it needs to be put to death so that you can enjoy the true life that Jesus wants you to have and for that true life as a beloved child of God might manifest fully in your life in your family in your job in your church and in your world would you rise? There's a question on the screen I'd invite you to consider. What are you emotionally attached to that Jesus never promised? It's okay to have emotional attachments. We all do. We're human. But what are we emotionally attached to that did not come to us through a promise of Christ? Let's take a couple minutes Reflect on that, and then I'll close the sermon in prayer.
Lord, I'm reminded of the words of Martin Luther who said that the only thing we contribute to our salvation is sin and resistance. And I know that is true of me. I know that is true of all of us that you call us forth into something better. You call us into a resurrection life, a life that aligns with what you have created for us. And all we can think about is what we're going to lose. All we can think about is how good it was before. All we can think about is how important the former was to us. And so, Lord, I pray that you would give us a measure of faith to trust that when there is a cross, when there is a death that needs to happen, that there is always a resurrection on the other side. And that which you have for us is far better than that which we cling to. Lord, grant us that faith to trust in this good news that we might follow you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.